0: Yesterday we talked about how the law of sin is the love of self, which, you know, the love of self is what brings unrest, right? And the love of self creates in us unbelief. Unbelief, hang on here, let me uh, get my slides up there again for you. Unbelief is the inability to believe that the law of love is the best way to run the universe. God has told us, that we should live by the law of love. But we want to live by the law of self. When we refuse to believe that God's law of love is the best way to live, then we set in motion unbelief, which sets in motion pride. And we see that with Lucifer's story, right? And every sin ever since then. I would challenge anyone to find any sin that's not rooted in unbelief and pride, this cycle of the two that feeds love of self. But that means that God has a remedy. If we can believe, if we can take by faith the love of God and realize this is the principle that runs the universe, the seeking of the lowest place, the service, that, will, that faith that we have in the love of God will give us humility. It will help us to see ourselves the way God sees us, as weak and helpless and sinful as we are, but at the same time as priceless, as of infinite worth, infinitely loved in the light of the cross, and this is the great power of the gospel. Just as unbelief and pride are the cycle at the root of every sin, so faith and humility reverse that cycle. They are the remedy for sin. Now, I want to tell you a few stories because how does that look in real life? You know, I know for many people that's that's a great concept. Um, my husband does a lot of uh, pastoral work. And he's uh, started at least five church plants or helped out in leading with the starting of at least five or six church plants in Africa and here in the States. And there's, there's one story of a church plant project, though, that I remember especially. It's a true story. There was this passionate team of young evangelists. They were on fire to serve the Lord. They were very active in the community. They were out doing so much work. Um, they didn't have very much money, but they had great vision what God wanted to do through them, and they were absolutely confident God was leading them. But they had a problem. They couldn't decide who was going to be the leader of the church, who would be the pastor, because you know what? The the reality was every one of them secretly wanted to be the pastor because they knew this is going to be a vision that's going to change the world. This is an incredible movement. I want to be the face on the handbills. I want to be the face on the website. So they they didn't always want to say it right up in front, but this, this battle underneath the surface kept spilling over into the way they related to each other, messing up their church plant until finally they realized what was going on. They sought the Lord earnestly. They bowed. They made things right between themselves, and the Holy Spirit was poured out. And you know what happened? No one wanted headship anymore. No one wanted to be the head of this church. No one sought the highest place. Now, the actual picture of what those men looked like might be a little more like this. The church plant that the disciples were trying to start with Jesus had a great vision behind it. It was God's vision. God wanted to do something mighty through them. But what cycle was destroying the disciples' ability to do God's work? It was that cycle of unbelief and pride If I don't try to push for the highest place, what if God doesn't put me there? I want that place. That pride prevented them from being ready. They sincerely wanted to serve God, but they didn't understand what it meant to enlist in the service of God. When Jesus said to the rich young ruler, you want to follow me? Sell everything you have. The disciples were horrified. They'd just finally gotten hope when this guy comes walking up to them. You know, in those days, you could tell this guy had money. You could tell by his clothes, right? They may have even known who he was, and they were like, yes, lamb for supper. And the disciples are like, oh, Jesus, don't mess this one up. Please don't mess this one up. And then Jesus says, sorry, If you want to follow me. You're going to have to seek the lowest place. You're going to have to become despised and rejected. You're going to have to lose the status you have. And the man said, you're not worth that. And he walked away. Isn't that heartbreaking? And yet here were these 12 disciples following Jesus, and that whole concept that Jesus had just shared was still a mystery to them. What heartbreak Jesus must have faced at that last supper as he sat there watching, waiting, These are the 12 men he's been training to start the church plant that will change the world. They won't even wash each other's feet. They're looking around, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it, Mm -mm. mm-mm, mm-mm. They all think I'm the one who's going to do it. And so Jesus girded himself with a towel. And then after he washed their feet, according to Luke 22 at least, he sat down with them. And he talked with them about this. Luke 22, verses 24 through 27 says, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus, wanted each of them to look for the lowest place. Why could they not? Because this cycle of unbelief and pride was chewing out the life of them. So Jesus did something to change their vision. What did he do? He sought the lowest place. He modeled servanthood. He demonstrated to them the law of the universe. Imagine what it could have been like. Imagine the story. If they would reached that upper room, And then John or Peter or Matthew or someone had seen, hey, nobody's washed anybody's feet and had rushed off to get water. And then one of the others had said, no, no, don't do that. Let me, let me. Think of the joy that would have flooded Jesus' heart if he had seen that, if he had been able to be blessed by seeing, yes, I'm about to face the cross, but it's not in vain. These men truly love me. They truly love one another. The seeds of the gospel are taking root in their lives and are springing up in a new way of living. Are we going to make the same mistake? By God's grace, let us not seek the highest place. Don't let this story be written of us too so that someday 2,000 years from now in the annals of history and the universe when people turn to the page that was 2015 they'll see the same thing. We all had to fight for the highest place. No, Jesus wants to teach us the lesson of faith and humility. What is faith? What are we talking about today? Faith is belief in God's character of love. It is belief that at the core of the universe is self-sacrifice. It's a God who seeks the lowest place. That's why he's the safest and the only one who can rule on the throne because he has no need for the throne. He doesn't crave power. He craves service. This is who he is. Faith is belief that love is God's law, by which he rules the universe. What is humility? You know, I I remember a story of a a man who was a slave and just had suffered so much and being separated from his family, and finally he'd had enough. When he was being sold again, he decided he just wanted to die. When they put him on the block, he started shouting, I won't work! I won't work! They ignored him, started auctioning him off. He kept screaming the same thing. I will not work! You can't make me work! One man stepped forward and began bidding for him in earnest. And even though everyone else was bidding and bidding and bidding, sending the price higher and higher, this man kept it up, till finally he paid an exorbitant price for this man. And as they took him down from the block, He shouted in the man's face, I will not work. You've wasted all of your money. You can beat me to death. I will never work. The man didn't say a word. He just led him to his wagon, put him in the back, and off they went toward home. When they got to the man's estate, he led this new slave out to the block of slave houses. There were these neat little clean cottages, and he said, This will be your home right here, as long as you are with me. The man said, Why are you treating me like this? Why are you giving me such a nice place? I will not work for you. No matter how nice it is, you cannot make me work. He said, I didn't buy you to make you work. I've set you free. And the man fell on his knees in anguish and said, Thank you, thank you. Please, please, let me serve you all of my life. This is the Jesus we serve. If we don't want to seek the lowest place, if we don't want to serve him, perhaps it's because we don't realize how he has served us, what he has done for us. You see, God wants hearts. He doesn't want the service of a grumbling servant who's willing to do it because he knows he's going to get beaten afterward if he doesn't. God wants the heart and nothing else is valuable to him. If faith is is belief in the character of God, that this is what he's like. Could it be that humility is the following in his footsteps? Could it be that it's the natural result of beholding the character of a God of love? I think so. In fact, I'm sure of it. I mean, I'm, I'm cramming in a little bit of what I've been studying of this. But the evidence is overwhelming. Go study for yourself and you will be amazed at the power of faith and humility. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, says, If the remnant people of God will walk before him in humility and faith, he will carry out through them his eternal purpose, enabling them to work harmoniously in giving to the world the truth as it is in Jesus. We all know God opposes the proud. He gives grace to whom? The The humble. The humble are the ones that he can teach his way. Selected Messages, Volume 1 says, In the work for this time, it is not money or talent or learning or eloquence that are needed so much as faith graced with humility. No opposition can prevail against truth presented in faith and humility. Oh, I want a power like that. When I go out and share the gospel, that people cannot resist the beauty of this message of love because they see what it's done in my life. It's against everything in our carnal hearts to seek the lowest place. When we hear the story of Lucifer in heaven, and we hear that he thought, you know, he's an archangel, Jesus is an archangel, how come he gets to be exalted higher than me? We're like, well, that makes perfect sense. But it didn't to the angels. They were like, what? You want a higher place than somebody else? That's not the way it works here. In the army of God, the general is the lowest the one who serves the greatest number. It's not the one who gets to say, you do what I said because I said to do it. That's not the way it worked in heaven. And nobody could even imagine where Lucifer was going with this. God doesn't want us to live out that kind of a gospel. He wants a gospel that transforms us into servants. The Redeemer has come so that glory thieves would joyfully live for the glory of another. That's what he wants Can we live for the glory of another instead of the glory for ourselves? Or are we going to insist on being glory thieves? You know, I believe there's nothing that can motivate us to humility and faith like dwelling on the life of Christ. It's incredible. Look at who he was from the manger to the cross. Here is a God who searches for the lowest place and takes it. When Jesus is born, he's born in a stable. We know that. But who is he born to? He's born to Mary. And everyone in the village has been talking about Mary. They don't know how that baby got there, but they know one thing. There was sin involved. Absolute, for definite, sure. And this woman knows what it is. The gossip has spread everywhere. This isn't a a godly village anyway. You know how they've talked about her. And even though she's so pregnant, she doesn't want to stay there with her family. She doesn't want to stay there with her midwives. When Joseph says, I'm leaving, she says, I'm going with you. I don't care that I'm about to have a baby. I'm not staying here alone. And I don't ever want to come back. They don't even intend to return to Nazareth. It's incredible. He has no money. How would a good, solid carpenter like Joseph have no money and have to wrap the baby in rags? I think everyone was treating both of them the same way. We know. He married her. Now we know who did it. We'll wait and see what that baby turns out looking like. But he looks just like Mary. And Mary won't tell. What an awful, awful circumstance for the Messiah to be born into. Why did he seek the lowest place? Why did he get born into shame? So that anyone else who is born into shame will know he's right there beside them. He understands. He lived his life under continual scorn. Even the Pharisees said, we know where you came from. We know about your birth. Jesus lived under this. But not only did he live under it, he died in it. He died on a cross, the most shameful death possible. Why did he seek the lowest place? Why did he continually live this way? And why does he always call shepherds? You notice that? Look at the leaders that God has called. He takes the shepherds, the lowest, the scum of the earth, the ones who aren't even worth educating, and he exalts them. Abraham, with all of his flocks and herds, how does he behave when he sees random strangers walking past on the road? He runs out there. He says, let me help you. Let me serve you. Come to my house. We are the children of Abraham. Do we do the works of Abraham? Perhaps it's because we don't have the heart of Abraham. What about Moses? When he was prepared for leadership in his own mind, he knew how to lead an army. He knew how to say, you do it, and they did it. Everyone jumped when Moses said to do something. And God said, you are utterly disqualified from my service. Let me give you 40 years of being nothing. And when he came back to Moses and said, how about serving me now? Moses knew what he was. And now he was ready for God to use him. This is the theme throughout Scripture. Look at the Balaams, the Samsons, the people who think they can exalt themselves. The King Saul, when you think you're something, you become worthless in God's service. But when you realize, wow, I am nothing, and he has loved me with an everlasting love, that's when true service begins. How did all of this mess happen in the first place? The ultimate glory thief was Lucifer. He wanted the power of God, but he didn't want the character of God. He wanted to be the one who had the place on the throne, but he refused to acknowledge the fact that throne belonged to somebody who had no desire for glory. The only reason God says, glorify me, is because he's safe from self-exaltation. He is the personification of love. He's the only one who's safe to rule this universe, the only one who can rule it from a desire of love because he owns the throne. It's his. Lucifer craved a higher place. The angels were just blown away, but he was so persuasive. It made so much sense. If I see the tree and I see the biggest peach on it, I'm going to grab it, polish it off, and eat it for myself before anybody else gets it. It all made so much sense. Self-exaltation became The law for a third of the angels. The desire of ages tells the heartbreaking story. Sin originated in self-seeking. Lucifer, the covering cherub, desired to be first in heaven. There he was, the guardian of the law, defying the law. He sought to gain control of heavenly beings, to draw them away from their creator, and to win their homage to himself. Therefore, he misrepresented God, attributing to him the desire for self-exaltation. With his own evil characteristics, he sought to invest the loving creator. Wow. What an awful crisis for the angels to go through. Before, everything was glorious, wonderful. And when they were called together and it was explained to them, we have a law here in heaven. They were like, what? There's a law? We were just living in the glory of everyone seeking the lowest place. Everyone loving one another as themselves. Contrast this this attitude of Lucifer with the mind of Christ. You know, I know this is kind of a long passage, but I couldn't think of anything that could be cut out. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 10. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus owned the throne, but he came down from the throne all the time to walk around, to mingle with the angels, so they didn't know how high he was. They didn't know that he was their creator. They thought he was one of them. And along comes Lucifer and says, how come he gets to be higher than me? So God explains, this is why. Because he actually is higher than you. Because he's actually your creator, Lucifer. And Lucifer says, "Uh uh-uh. I don't want him over me. When Jesus came, he made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, an infinite lowering of himself already. He he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Can you see it there? He who owns the throne says, let me show you what God is like. Let me show you why I'm safe to be on the throne. Let me show you how the only way we'll ever fix this mess will be solved by every one of you learning to live by the law I live by. Wherefore, because of this character, because Jesus is like this, because this is what the God of the universe is like, wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. What a contrast. This is the God who rules our universe. It's safe to serve him. He's going through this whole process, the judgment, everything else, to prove to us he's safe to be on the throne of the universe. So that when all of the universe unanimously unites in saying, that's it, we want it done. We want sin out of here forever. We're never going to let it rise up again. We are thoroughly inoculated against the evil of self-exaltation. And then... God says, everyone is in agreement. Everyone has examined all of the evidence I can possibly present to you. Who says, I? Everyone says, get it out of here. Even though it means the destruction of those we love, the those that you love. God, we know this is the only way out. If they will not let go of self-exaltation in their hearts, they must be removed from the universe to restore harmony. This is the God we serve. That's why. It's safe to trust the universe in his hands. Christ's Object Lessons says, The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world, is a revelation of his character of love. Wow! That's us! That's our calling! We're called to do this, to seek the lowest place, to become like the disciples were at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, where no one sought to be over anybody else. We don't see at Pentecost the moment that the Holy Spirit has poured out and they've all made things right with one another, that they stack up. This guy's in top. This guy's right below him. This guy's right below him. It's not a pecking order. It's everyone seeking the lowest place. Everyone becoming a servant. It didn't solve all of the conflicts of the church, but it got to the root of the problem. Christ wants to recreate this character within us. The children of God are to manifest his glory in their own life and character. They are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. Will the latter rain do the same thing that the former rain did? Take people who have sought the lowest place, who have made things right between themselves, who have all come to the bottom and said, we're going to follow in the footsteps of a redeemer who has modeled to us the seeking of the lowest place. When we get to that point, the latter rain can be poured out safely because we won't go, hey, I've got Holy Spirit power. I bet I've got more than he has. I bet I have more than she has. I think I'm a better preacher too. We won't do it anymore. We're not safe to receive the latter rain until we all come to the point that the disciples did before they received the former rain. The desire of ages says the angels of glory find their joy in giving giving love and tireless watch care to souls that are fallen and unholy. That's us. Heavenly beings bring the lost into a fellowship with Christ which is even closer than they themselves can know. You see, this is the fellowship that we're supposed to go join. We're preparing to join this team of angels in the universe to go out and share the glory of God for the rest of our lives. We have to learn to live by the law that they live by, each one seeking to push the other higher. They've never been able to figure out why we have this obsessive need to trample on each other to try to get to the highest place. It's so foreign to them. Because there's nothing save the selfish heart of man that lives unto itself. There's this massive, vast universe, incomprehensible size. Everyone out there living by one law, the law of love. And then here on our planet, we've got this little speck of evil. Satan, all of his angels, And all of us going, I want the biggest. I want the best. You wonder if you still have a carnal nature? See how you behave at the dessert table at potluck when there isn't enough for everybody. We're a pretty sorry lot, aren't we? Wow. He says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to change you. You who are the mutation in the universe, the ones who said, I will be like the Most High who grasped that ye shall be as gods and said, Mmm, that tastes good. I like that. God is the only one to to be safe ruling the universe because he seeks the lowest place. The Desire of Ages, page 21, says, Turning from all lesser representations, we behold God in Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, we see that it is the glory of our God to give. I do nothing of myself, said Christ, The living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father. I seek not mine own glory, but the glory of him that sent me. In these words is set forth the great principle, which is the law of life for the universe. Wow, when I I read these words, when I grasp the character of God, everything in me says, I want to be like that. Oh, I want to be like that. That's what he wants. That's what he's going to create in us. Lucifer had said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. But Christ, being in the form of God, this is what the Father is like, counted it not a thing to be grasped, to be on an equality with God, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. We know this is a voluntary sacrifice, right? The father didn't say to Jesus, you get down there and you do that. Jesus said, let's do this, let's do this. And the father said, how can I let you go? And they wrestled. But in the end, love always wins. And even for the God of the universe, the anguish that he goes through, it's worth it for every one of us. He paid the price knowing a few of us would be saved. And even one was going to be worth it. You see, humility doesn't lead us to think of ourselves as trash. It leads us to think of ourselves in the light of the glory of God. Wow, he loves me like that. Jesus chose to give back the scepter into his father's hands because he wanted to come down and be with us. You know, I've, I've read a lot from The Desire of Ages, the first chapter of The Desire of Ages, and that's because it's very personal to me. When I was 16, I was angry. I was a skeptic about this God of love. He didn't seem to do very much to take care of me. I felt that I had to take care of myself all the time. And so I had started descending into addictive relationships, bad entertainment habits, things that I I thought weren't going to have any kind of real effect on me. I told God, I'm not going to go out and drink and smoke and do drugs and do stupid stuff, but I'm not doing that stupid trust God thing. This was my prayer. I literally said this to him. I said, You don't take care of me, and I'm going to take care of myself. I'll go to church, I'll do all the good outward stuff, but I'm through with the stupid faith thing because you don't do anything. Then I went to a school called Washtenaw Hills Academy. Maybe at ASI, somebody remembers that name and sounds familiar. And when I went there, I remember the principal. This is Clark, as I was going through registration, said, when was the last time you read the book The Desire of Ages? And I said, I'm not sure I've ever read The Desire of Ages. And I was thinking, I'm not sure I've ever opened The Desire of Ages. I'm sure I've never read it. I have no idea what's in that book. All I knew was it was written by Ellen White. And we all knew about Ellen White, that old lady who wrote Dear Brother M all the time and everything else. It was just going to be full of blasting and boring stuff, so I didn't bother opening books by her. So I got put into Life and Teachings of Christ class, and I remember the first night that I did my homework. I opened that book, Desire of Ages, fat. Oh my goodness, that was going to take me longer to read than a novel. And I read that first chapter, and I came to the end of it, where it says that throughout eternal ages, We're going to praise him for his unspeakable gift to us. Emmanuel, God with us. And the tears came to my eyes. And I thought, I've never heard of a God like this. If that's what he's like, maybe I could trust him with my life after all. That night was a turning point for me. I saw the humility of God. God. I saw somebody that I could have faith in, a God who was love. If we can take that message to the world, if we can show them the character of a God of love, a God who loves us like that and who loves them like that, that will change the world. That will bring about the second coming. That will bring us into harmony with Christ. I want to appeal to everyone here. Will we? Will we answer God's call? Will we have faith in his character of love? Will we let him transform our hearts so that we seek the lowest place instead of the highest place? We don't fight for that. We fight to be like him. We fight ourselves instead of fighting each other. God wants to create that within us. And I'm asking everyone here, to make a commitment within your heart. Stand with me. Will we commit ourselves to humble ourselves before the Lord so that he can lift us up instead of us trampling on one another? Will we let him by faith transform us? Let that faith that works by love come into us, Laodicea, the ones who need it so badly. Let it transform us so that we will have the white robes that we need, that we will have the eye salve that will give us a clear vision of ourselves, of the world, and most of all, the kingdom of God. How many of you will commit to that with me today? Let's pray. Father, our hearts are overwhelmed with love for you. As we behold your glory, how can we resist? Lord, teach us to seek the lowest place. Teach us to serve. Lord, there must be people who are hearing this message who need to go make things right with others. Others they have trampled. Others they have spoken badly of. Lord, show us our faults. Show us where we need to wash one another's feet. Transform us into your image that we will not be like the disciples in the upper room. Let us not make their mistake, Lord, of refusing to lower ourselves. Help us to lower ourselves so that you can be the one who implants your character in us. You exalt us